0: make a statement, or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out midwayusa.com.
1: What's up y'all want to welcome you back to the hunt stand podcast season two. And this is your host, Will Cooper. The hunt stand podcast is your weekly source for insightful conversations with veteran hunters, dedicated outdoor enthusiasts, and top industry personnel. I'm going to have guests on here who are true experts in the field, delving into the captivating world of our industry and the great outdoors with each episode. You, the listener, are going to be able to receive invaluable knowledge, tips, and guidance on how to enhance your skills in the wild and even in life. So tune in weekly to be entertained, informed, and driven to reach new heights. So what does that mean? That means you need to make sure that you do whatever you gotta do to make sure that you get notifications weekly whenever I put a new HuntStand podcast up because you're not gonna wanna miss out on the guests and people that I bring on here to bring all this to you. The HuntStand podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and it's full line of class-defining adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. The HuntStand podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and their Model 2020 Waypoint Rifles hunt stand podcast season two buckle up it's gonna be a good ride let's go what's going on everybody it's your host will coming back for a new episode of the hunt stand podcast on today's episode we are continuing the wildest hunt stories series and today we are bringing on a friend of mine and her name is Lindsay persico and we're going to talk a little bit about her story and something she went through a few years ago near the Arctic Circle and the survival story that was around that. Now, this wasn't necessarily a life or death matter, but she spent 30 days alone on her own, no tools, no weapons, by herself and made it 30 days for filming Alone the Beast. It's a spinoff of Alone from the History Channel. So we get her on here to talk about that story and how her situation can be applied to almost any survival situation if you find yourself in this type of scenario. And what I mean by that is you're out in the middle of the nowhere and you find yourself in her boots with no weapon, no tools, just the clothes on your back and you don't know when help is coming. So we're going to get Lindsay on to talk about that. I'm not going to go too much into her story because I'm going to let her tell her own story, but I'm going to quit rambling y'all, and we're going to get right to it on this episode of the HuntStand Podcast with Lindsay Persico. Lindsay, welcome to the Hunt Stand podcast and thank you for your time this morning to talk survival and wildest hunt stories.
2: Um thanks for having me. I always look forward to chatting with you.
1: Yeah, I know we we worked a little bit together before in the industry and so when I started the series up I was like, man, I got to get you on here. And uh you know, one of the things I like to do before I get the podcast really rolling before we start going rabbit holes I like for the guests to kind of give what I call this 30 foot tree stand view, 30,000 view, whatever you want to call it. So, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you're from, and how you've gotten to where you are in life now.
2: Okay. Well, my name is Lindsay Persico. Uh, If you're looking down from your tree stand, you're going to see me in Montana. I live in Missoula, Montana, western side of the state. I grew up in Idaho. And out here, there's just so many opportunities for hunting, outdoor adventure. All that. So I was blessed to be immersed in that from really young age. My dad introduced me to hunting and I fell in love with it. So that fills a lot of my time. I'm a mama to four kiddos now. My husband and I kind of take turns a lot of times getting out in the field these days because somebody's <laughs> gotta stay home with kids. So
0: yep.
2: a lot of solo hunting, which I absolutely love. Um it's kind of like my quiet time and For work, I do online fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle coaching with Bristol Bay Fitness. My boss is based out of Alaska, and we go up there every year and do women's wilderness retreats where we take gals out in the bush and teach them survival skills and just lifestyle work, uh, mindset work, just kind of helping them reconnect with who they are and build confidence out there so they can go have their own adventures. And I do... Um, I do a little bit of dabbling in the survival world. So I do some speaking on survival. Um, and then I'm building a wilderness mindset and survival online course. So I've so much interest in it. It's something I'm putting together and I'm hoping to release that this year, have it ready to go. But sweet. A little bit of that. I do writing as well. I Mm -hmm. write for Western Hunter magazine. Uh, writing has always been a passion of mine. So that's something else that I spend time doing. And then just trying to get out in the meantime and explore yeah. with my kiddos and enjoy Montana.
1: Man, I'm jealous. I, I've looked at Montana myself and it's kind of hard to get away from Texas, but I think if I ever did, I would definitely come up to your neck of the woods.
2: Texas kind of has like, it's it's similar to Montana. There's all these opportunities, but they're mm. they're just very different. Like you get to do stuff down there that we can't do here and vice versa. So
1: yeah. Yeah. That's true. It is, it is a pretty target rich environment down here when it comes yes. to hunting. And <laughs> yeah. There's pigs. a, yeah, there's still like, yeah, pigs, exotics, uh, and even some MLD properties are still going right now. They'll go to the end of the month for whitetail.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. So deer hunting are like way late in the season. That's Yeah. Cool.
1: There's, there's certain properties that they work with the state. Uh, they're called MLDs. I don't remember. It's like manned management, Something I can't remember the last part of it. I think that's how, what it is. I should know that. But like, what Mm. they what they allow you to do is you can actually start rifle hunting. Typically across the state, uh, bow season starts that first weekend of October. But what they do is if you get this MLD property, you can actually start hunting hunting with a firearm in October and go all the way through the end of February.
2: Wow. That's yeah. interesting. So you're going through quite a few different phases of the deer cycle with a rifle. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. And, and the state will give you like X amount of buck da- tags and then like X amount of doe tags. Like there was one property I was a part of last year that I think if I remember correctly, we had 150 something buck tags
2: Oh my and, gosh! and
1: 180 <laughs> doe tags. Like this place was overpopulated to the brim of deer it just it wasn't managed properly just i mean nobody really hunted it so it was right. just it was insane the amount of deer that were out there
2: See, so, yeah, there's no reason not to have a full freezer in texas
1: no i mean it was to the point that, that ranch like they would shoot deer and then they would take it to a lo- local butcher and processor, and then they would uh, donate it to a local mm-hmm. food shelter, food pantry. So that way, you know, families and people who struggled with um, putting food on the plate, they could go and they could eat. That's that. awesome. So it was pr- it was pretty cool.
2: That is cool. Yeah, yeah that's a blessing because man, I love having a full freezer. That's always the goal for us for the season. Like we want to have fun and we want to shoot a big buck or elk or whatever if we can but Mm -hmm. really the ultimate goal is fill that freezer (laughs) oh heck yeah and what
1: was it i think i saw you were in alaska or something this this past fall where you killed a mountain goat
2: that was here in montana i yeah i uh less than one percent odds to draw a mountain goat tag in the gallatin range down um over by bozeman and Mm -hmm. yeah i got to fill a mountain goat tag it was amazing. It is something I've been putting in for forever and it's really hard to draw. So it was this big blessing, big surprise, but super fun.
1: Tell me about the hunt. I mean, how, how'd it go? I mean, obviously you were successful. Is that the head I see behind you there?
2: Oh yes. Right there.
1: <laughs> Heck yeah.
2: Um, I've got the hide getting tanned, uh, at the taxidermist right now and yeah. I wanted to have the head in the meantime. So yeah, I hung that up. Um, it was actually, it was a really cool experience and we did a lot of scouting ahead of time because I wanted to be successful. It's such a hard thing to draw. I was like, this is a really important hunt. I want to put a lot of time in and prepare. And I'm glad that I did because we knew where to go. And I tagged out at like eight o'clock in the morning on opening morning. Wow. But that was almost kind of a bummer in a way. Cause I was like, man, I want this seat. The season goes clear into November and it starts in September. And, uh, it gets snowed out up in there, mm-hmm. probably really can only hunt realistically more of September and October, but I kind of wanted it to last a little longer, <laughs> but at the same time, I was glad to fill the tank. Um, it was a really grueling physical hunt. It's very high elevation, a lot of long way to hike, really heavy packs. It was a pretty brutal trip, but it just made it all the more sweet Dang. when it was done. Yeah.
1: Bittersweet getting it done, but on the first morning. <clears throat> Man. right <laughs> i think everybody wishes it would probably happen like that though especially when they get to like day six day seven of a hunt yeah so
2: yeah i knew that you know i was i was so grateful it was mm-hmm. such a blessed feeling to be able to notch that tag right off the bat and not have to stress it but at the same time i was like it can't be over yet
1: <laughs> did you film it all or was it just uh personal
2: just a little bit we did a little bit of stuff we put a small video together it's on youtube somewhere sweet not a ton but yeah we got the yeah got the shot and there was three different billies that we could have went after that morning mm. and two of them were up on some cliffs where logistically i was looking at it i'm like i think i could make it happen but it was going to be so sketch. and if the if it didn't just drop even if it did drop it could have rolled and then plumbed it off like a couple hundred foot cliff um and i'm like yeah i don't want that to happen so (laughs) we decided to go after this one which was way down the valley and see if we could intersect it we couldn't tell how good it was from where we spotted him Mm we had to get closer and i think he was comparable to the other two he was not like he's just a good uh representation of a mature billy he's not like a giant billy or anything but he's he's a decent billy and so I i was pleased with him
1: heck yeah that's awesome well congrats on doing that Thank you. Yeah. So I want to, before we get into this, I kind of want to, you mentioned earlier that you will be doing some courses, online courses for survival, but talk to us a little bit about these women retreats that you do with Bristol Bay Fitness.
2: They are so cool. So our first first uh, go at it was last year. We did three different retreats. So we had 10 women in each retreat. So 30 different women. Came up and basically they fly into Anchorage and then down to King Salmon where uh, Bristol Bay Fitness is located. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we all pack into small little cubs and fly out to actual wilderness area and get dropped off. There's no there's no way in or out except for by plane um, to this small lake that we went to. And to stay out there for about five days. We teach them everything from the ground up. So even from building their tent, you know, getting their tent spot set up, getting their tent set up, setting up bare fences. And then we do archery skills and survival skills. And we took them on a big hike and um, talked a lot about mindset and just tried to help them build confidence because a lot of women struggle with confidence in wild places by yeah. themselves, especially. Um, and a lot of it just comes from a lack of experience or doing something on their own. A lot of times some of those basic skills have been done for them. And giving them an opportunity in a low stress environment, low pressure environment to get some of that experience and spend time on it themselves just helps to build that confidence. And it was really cool. A lot of neat connections made, still Mm -hmm. friends with a lot of the gals that came up there. And it was really awesome.
1: Yeah. um, uh, I know Jessica Byers, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. you, you know her as Follow Her Arrow. And I saw that she did that with you this past year because I saw that she was doing this. I'm like, oh, what's she doing? Then I see you in the background. I'm like, oh, wait, I know both of those girls.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was so much fun. She's such a blast. Yeah. We had a great time up there and it was really neat to get to spend time with her and get to know her. A lot of people I had never heard of, never met before. And then some people that I'd seen online or maybe met at a show or something and they came up and yeah, just a neat group of people. It's interesting. Like girls, it's hard to find women that love these things because mm. they're out there, but we're kind of few and far between. It's def- definitely not the majority of women who want to go and do something like that. No. And so it kind of like put a beacon out to the world of, hey, you gals out there, we know you exist. Where are you? Let's get together. and And then we all converged and it was like, oh, we had the same types of childhoods growing up as tomboys and it was really cool to just have us all together and realize how much we had in common and we're not alone.
1: That's pretty <laughs> freaking neat. sweet. Well, so tell me like if a if a girl out there wants to do this, uh does she need to have the bare minimum of equipment? Does she have to have any experience being a bow hunter or can it can just can it be somebody who's completely a greenhorn to go do this?
2: When we put out the information as kind of what to expect, it was Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's going to be a pretty good hike involved. So we did a hike that was about 10 miles and it was in the tundra and quite a good distance and tundra walking is tough. It's, it's not the same as hiking on a trail somewhere. Um, so the ability, the physical ability to be able to do that was kind of the only prerequisite, um. Everything else is pretty much provided. We had all of the tents and the sleeping bags and pads and all that kind of gear. We provided all the food. Um, They basically just had to show up. They needed a good pair of boots. You know, that kind of a basic gear, some rain gear was something they needed to bring. Mm -hmm. um, And we used (laughs) a lot of rain in Alaska. Oh, yeah. Uh, But outside of that experience wise, no, just an open openness to experiencing new things and pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone. We thought that everybody that was coming had some experience, but we actually found out while we were out there that two of the gals, a a mom and a daughter that came, it was so cool. They had never even been camping before. And this was their first, yeah, their first experience camping, which it's a pretty, uh, it's a quick immersion experience to go out into the bush and just camp like that for the first time. And they had a blast. They did great. It was awesome. That's (laughs)
1: awesome. Heck Yeah. Well, sweet. Well, I'm thinking I might have to get my wife to go do that one day, but... uh It'd be fun. Well, let's talk about uh, something that you've done in the past, and you were on a television show called Alone mm-hmm. the Beast, correct?
2: Correct. It was a spin-off of the Alone show from the same producers mm-hmm. on the History Channel, and they uh, wanted to try something a little bit different, so... They put us out in teams of three. Okay. And didn't give us any gear. Like the usual alone show, you get to pick 10 items. Mm -hmm. Could be, you know, a saw, maybe some paracord, a knife, a tarp, that kind of thing. And for us, we just had to go out with the clothes on our back, no tools. And they gave us a dead animal to use as food, but with no tools to butcher it. So, and your goal was to last 30 days. How long ago did you do this? <clears throat> oh, geez. This would have been the fall of 2019, right it, before COVID hit.
1: <laughs> oh, and where? It was in Alaska?
2: No, it was up by the Arctic Circle on Great Slave Lake in the Northwest Territories.
1: Shoot. So, it was
2: really cool up there.
1: Okay. So what what I want to do is I know this is this isn't necessarily a wildest hunting story, but I think that there is a survival scenario situation here that a lot of our listeners can take and apply this because, you know, a lot of hunters go and might do an over the counter caribou tag up in Alaska, or they may try and do some, it may not necessarily be in Alaska, but uh, you know, they could potentially find themselves in a situation where they might get separated from their camp they may lose a pack they may not have any tools and you know similarly you're in a situation but you're doing this for a television show so kind of run us through you got an animal no tools like you didn't even have a knife or anything did you
2: no just bare (laughs) just
1: bare hand bare knuckle all you got are your fists Mm
2: -hmm.
1: tell us run us through like Give us a quick synopsis of kind of what happened during the show.
2: Okay. Well, the local tribe was tasked with getting the moose. And so we had to wait till they had a moose on the ground before our our episode would start. And once we got word that they had a a moose down, we were boated out and dropped off at our location. Okay. So we got dropped off and there was three of us, me and two other guys. Okay. And basically... (laughs) Like we get dropped off and we know we need what we need shelter, but we also have an animal that still has all the guts and it's freshly killed. That's our food supply. We need to manage this meat and make sure it's going to be good. Right. So we need to get this animal cooled down. We need Mm -hmm. to get the guts out of it. Um, and eventually we're going to need fire because it was October near the Arctic circle. So it was not warm. Yeah. So we kind of split up forces, one of the group. One of the guys that was with us took off and started working on a shelter for the night because it was later, it was kind of afternoon mm-hmm. when we got dropped out. So we knew we only had a certain amount of daylight and no light sources after it was dark to do anything. So priorities were shelter and trying to get this animal cooled down. Um, we were hoping that we might have some good nappable stone, some sort of a flint that we could use for um, butchering, but we did not we had shale and some other green granite kind of rock that was no good for anything so got to work on the moose with a piece of shale which i'll tell you is one of i guess it's probably one of the accomplishments in life that i feel pretty proud about was butchering that moose with a piece of shale because i was the one that came into this with a little more butchering experience um the other guy had some as well but but he Also had the most fire building experience. So he was working a lot on that Mm -hmm. task. So I was pretty much working on the moose and it took a really long time to get through a really thick moose hide, make any progress with that. But one little bit at a time, I was able to get it opened up to where I could get the guts out before we went to bed and we lost our daylight. So first night I got the guts out, just propped it open to try to get it to cool. And then as soon as the sun came up the next day, it was about getting the skin off, getting the quarters off, getting them cached so predators wouldn't eat them. And we had access to them to try to start preserving some of the meat later. Yeah. Um, from day one, one of the guys was starting to get sick. And I think Already? He was, yeah, he was a little out of his element. So he was from the warmer parts of Nevada
0: mm-hmm.
2: and an older guy and he was not doing very well. So he progressed and got sicker and sicker. And by day three, he ended up leaving. So then it was me and one other guy and we continued to try to get our shelter going. We did get fire eventually on day three, he had fire and we were able to start cooking the meat and eating it, which was awesome. (laughs) The Best, best meat ever. Um, but by day eight, he also was having some issues. There was some stuff going on at home, some things happening in his mind. his He's a guide and our season date, start date had gotten pushed out because they couldn't find a moose for our episode until a little later than they had hoped. And mm-hmm. it was gonna start cutting into his guiding season. He was missing his family. A few things happened and he ended up leaving as well.
1: No. So
2: then it was just me <laughs> from day eight on. And- Wow. It was really interesting getting to experience it both ways. I honestly am blessed that I've always been somebody who really likes alone time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was okay with that. The only concern was it was a lot of work to maintain a fire and work on all the meat and do all the tasks that I needed to do every day to just maintain my survival for 30 days all by myself. And luckily, I was able to do that. I did have a little bit of predator trouble. So there was a A black bear who found the carcass first of the moose, which I didn't mind, you know, that was okay. I'm like, all right, you stay over there and eat that. And I'll stay up here and eat these nice quarters. But he wasn't content with that for very long. And after a few days, he started coming closer and closer to my camp.
0: Mm.
2: And I would hear him outside my shelter at night go by and I thought, It's only a matter of time. Well, one night I was laying in my shelter and I had pulled a lot of the fat from the moose meat. So I'd pulled everything from around the organs that I could find. Anytime I found fat on, you know, any of the quarters that I had or up along the the back, I saved it because that fat was going to be really crucial for me to minimize the amount of weight that I lost. I needed as much fat as I could get and moose are really lean. So there wasn't a lot And I had it all in a pile and I was rendering it on a piece of slate over the fire. So I would heat it up on the slate and let it run off until it dripped down into a little pile that I could use. And I would add it to my jerkied meat a little bit every day. And he, Mr. Bear, decided my fat pile looked pretty good, I guess. So I woke up, my fire was kind of dwindling and I woke up to add sticks to it and looked across the fire and he was laying across the fire from me eating off of my fat pile. Like he was my pup puppy.
1: <laughs> <What>?
2: <laughs> like he was a little dog and I just froze at first and I was looking, I couldn't kind of, couldn't believe my eyes. I'm like, is this really happening? And then I moved a little bit more to kind of tuck myself back into the shelter because I was I was like I don't have a gun. I don't have anything to defend myself and Oh shit. I didn't know what his response would be. So, I kind of tucked myself back in and he took off. And at that point, I started to realize that this wasn't safe in that sense anymore. Like if he was getting that confident that he could sit across from me, he knew I was there. Yeah. And just eat off the fat pile he wasn't scared of me he wasn't Mm. intimidated by me and if he decided that this meat was his um i might have a fight on my hands that i couldn't handle because i didn't have any weapons so i ended up packing up my camp and all the meat that i had dried at that point which was enough to get me barely get me through for the rest of the month and moved my camp a couple miles away and set up there and after that i didn't have any problem with him
1: how big of a bear was he
2: it was a nice size black bear, but not, not ridiculous. I, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say 300 pound, just a nice adult black bear.
1: Jeez. I want to, I want to back up a little bit before the bear, you know, you, you've got this other guy that's with you, uh, and y'all are day seven, day eight, and he's got all these things going at ho- He knows all these things are going on at home. I mean, y'all had a camera crew out there with y'all. So was he able to stay in touch with family or he just knew in the back of his head there's all this stuff going on and it's just eaten away at him?
2: So we had a camera crew that would come out for part of the day and do mm-hmm. some filming most days, but not every day. Yeah, Some days they weren't there. And then at night we did self-filming, but okay. they weren't allowed to communicate. Like we had to communicate a few things here and there. Like They'd have us maybe we did something that they wanted to capture mm-hmm. and they missed it. So they'd have us repeat it or something like that. But most of the time they weren't really supposed to communicate with us. And we didn't have any knowledge of what was happening at home. Okay, They weren't, they weren't, they would like keep in touch with our family every couple of weeks. They'd say they're still here. They're doing good. You know, they're not coming home and just to update the family, but we didn't get any updates on, on the family. So it's just what he knew in his own mind. When he
1: left, what went through your mind when you knew I'm out here by myself now.
2: Um, I thought I was kind of surprised. I thought, you know how you you did all that work to get here. Cause it was a long ways for all of us to get all the way up there to great slave Lake. Yeah. And it was a trip. It's a trip. <laughs> and to set your whole family up for you to be gone for an entire month. I mean, for me, that was so much work to prep my whole family to be gone for me to be gone for a month and I just thought man it's not that long like I don't know I could never leave I just knew there was no way I was going to leave unless they drug me out of there Mm
1: -hmm.
2: kicking and screaming because it had it had taken so much for me to get there in the first place and I was determined to see it through to the end and there was just no way I was going to go home for any reason other than an emergency yeah that's
1: That, yeah, that's got to be tough. I mean, I'm sure through his head, there's a bunch of things. So when you knew you were alone, did you just kind of go into overdrive, like thinking about all the things you have to get done, things you have to prep for? I mean, you just went into like a whole new, whole new mindset after he left.
2: I just went into a really basic routine. So you only have so many hours of daylight to work with. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's all you have. Cause you don't have any other light unless you're right next to your fire.
1: How many days, So I, how many hours did you have of light?
2: Not very many. There was about 14, 15 hours of darkness up there at that okay. time. So it was, it wasn't horrible. You know, I had, I had daylight, but it wasn't, it wasn't as much as I would have liked. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot more dark, less darkness than I wanted. Yeah. You can only sleep for so many hours. So there's a lot of just time in the dark with nothing to do. Damn. Um, so I, I basically planned my days around the daylight cycle and what I needed to accomplish during daylight hours. So mm. wood gathering, gathering firewood to make sure I had enough to get through the night always had to happen no. during daylight hours. Um, any foraging that I could do, there was a few berries before the snow came that I could forage, um, I would do that during daylight hours. I would work on the smoking the meat, keeping the fire going in my smoker that I had um, during that, and then eventually hunting for grouse during daylight hours. And anything that had to be done, getting water, water was kind of a long, arduous task because I didn't have anything to put water in. So you had to make regular trips to the water source. One was, you know, quite a ways down a really steep hill to get to water and spend time sitting there just drinking because otherwise you were going to get dehydrated. And, you know, planning those events into my day just kept me busy. It was just those regular mundane basic survival skills. And then drying my clothes and drying my boots by the fire was something I did in the evening once it got dark, sat down, got everything dried back out for the next day and tried to sleep.
1: So if somebody were to find themselves in a situation where they were by themselves, uh, they get separated from their camp, whether they're hunting or they're camping and they get separated and they have none of their gear, you would say shelter, water, and food are the necessities you need to cover. Right.
2: You know, it depends on how long you're going to be out there. Food is not something you absolutely need. If Mm -hmm. you're not going to be out there for a long time, if you're going to be out there for 30 days, yeah, you need food. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and it really depends upon the situation you're in, right? What is going to be important? Because every location is different. Every situation is so different. The weather where you are, it, you know, all those things have to be taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, fire, if you're in a cold environment, fire is almost always number one because eventually you lose that dexterity you need for fine motor skills. And building a fire, even with really good materials, is a, is a fine motor skill. It's something that you need to be able to do with full function of your hands. And keeping that in mind in a cold environment is important. Always, always, always have something with you to start a fire. Yeah. Don't rely on natural methods, even if you're really good at them. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, it's not worth it, but yeah, shelter, if it's a cold, windy, wet environment, it's going to be key. Um, and then water, water's huge.
1: So for the guy that guy or girl that's hunting, they're with their group and you know, things get crazy. You get on some animals. Uh, I sometimes people separate a little bit thinking they can, uh, try to make a play on a big bull or a big deer or something and say, there's a fall, lose a pack, lose all your gear. Uh, and you don't know how long you're going to be out there fire first and foremost.
2: Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in a cold environment. Yeah. yeah definitely. Fire is really good for a lot of things. Fire is good for warmth. It's good for drying out cold and wet gear. It's mm-hmm. good for keeping predators away. Usually it's good for, um, Morale. There's something about a fire that helps you feel better. I guess it's just ingrained in our psyche from way back when. Um, it's good for boiling water. It's good for cooking food. There's tons of benefits that come from having a fire. So if you're in an environment where it makes sense, because you know, if you're in if you're in September um, archery woods in Montana, you probably maybe don't want to build a fire. <laughs> it's dry, you know, wildfires are a for real thing over here in the Mm -hmm. West in the fall. And, you know, it might not make sense in some situations, but in a lot of situations, a fire can be a really beneficial thing to have. It can also be a great way to signal to other people where you are. Smoke is helpful.
1: Big time. How would you start, like when you had to move your camp after you have this situation with this black pair staring across a fire at you in the middle of the night? how were you starting your fires you know you're in a wet cold environment up close to the arctic circle like what were you using to get a fire started when you had no tools on you
2: this was zane's specialty one of the one guy that stayed with me for eight days Mm -hmm. he got our fire started with a it's an interesting twist on a bow drill. So if you've seen a bow drill technique before, mm-hmm. basically you use a stick and a another longer stick that you create a bow with a string, but we didn't have string, right? So we cut a strip of the moose's hide and he used a technique where you hold the spindle piece of wood that's used to spin and create that friction and create that ember um, with a bearing block which is kind of like a protective block that you put between you and the spindle because it gets hot on both ends as it spins he put that bearing block in his mouth and he held the spindle against his bottom board with the pressure of his head and then he used the hide from the moose the strip of hide tight around that to spin it and it was a technique that i'd never seen before i've seen a lot of bow drill techniques or hand drill techniques but that was a totally new technique for me to see and it was incredibly difficult but something he could do by himself which Mm -hmm. was really cool and it took him about seven hours to get that first fire it's not a good environment up there for any kind of a natural fire the wood that grows there grows incredibly slow And what you're relying on for your ember is the soft ring in the fibers of the woods. You have your your rings of wood are a hard ring and a Mm -hmm. soft ring. And that soft ring is where you get the fine powder dust that creates the ember in a friction fire. When they're really tight together because they grow super slowly, you hardly have any of that to work with. So it's incredibly difficult to get an ember. So keeping the fire going was my number one priority. And that's... I, I don't think I could have gotten a fire started. It would have taken me so long <laughs> to get a fire started out there. I knew bow drill techniques, um, but I didn't have string. And without string, it's way difficult. The, the hide of the moose was not the ideal thing to use for a bow drill. It worked, but it wasn't as good as some of these different things people use, like paracord or natural fibers or things like that.
1: But in a survival situation, it worked for you all.
2: It worked, but that's why I, my survival teachings and techniques are all about preparation and prevention because you don't want to be in that situation. You don't want to be someplace relying on a piece of wood and a moose's hide to keep you from going into hypothermia. You don't want that. So Mm -hmm prevent it, prepare ahead, plan ahead, make sure that you don't end up in that situation because nobody really wants to be there.
1: No. So how did you move this fire so you didn't have to spend seven hours doing what he did?
2: I used a old technique from the natives where they take, I had a piece of birch wood that was kind of rotten. It was like a punky piece of wood. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of Bore out a little hole in that with a rock. And then I pulled a pretty good size ember out of the fire and used a piece of chaga. I don't know if you know what chaga is. No. There's a couple different things that you can use as what they call coal extenders. So it keeps your coal longer. Um, Horse hoof fungus is one. You can see them growing on the sides of trees. They kind of look like a horse's hoof sitting there. You've probably seen them before. Um, and chaga is another one, and it it can be used for a lot of different things. It has medicinal purposes, but it's also a really good coal extender. So you light the piece of chaga with your ember and get it smoldering, and it just sits there and smolders. And then you place, I placed that with the ember into the birch, and covered it up with a piece of bark, and I carried it to my next place. And every once in a while I'd stop and open it up and blow on it a little bit just to get that ember burning really good again and Mm -hmm. keep that flame hot. And then I'd cover it back up. And once I got there, I opened it up. I built myself a little nest of grasses and twigs and everything I needed to get a base of a fire going again. And then I put that over top of that ember and blew on it. It took me a really, really, really long time to get that to light and ignite again. And I finally got my fire right before dark in that new spot. And I didn't have a shelter built. I didn't have anything set up. And I just pulled that moose hide over top of myself on a bow bed that I made and went to sleep. And it was a pretty rough night, okay. <laughs> but I had a fire, <laughs> had fire.
1: Jeez. So, but you were away from the predator.
2: I was, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. He had everything he wanted there. I took a very small amount of already dried meat that I had with me and he didn't need me anymore.
1: Damn. Did you ever deal with any other bears or did you ever run into any kind of coyote or fox or were there any wolves up there that you had to deal with?
2: There were were wolves there, but I luckily didn't have any coming into my camp. Um, I had a marten that was trying to steal my dried meat. So I had it like on sticks strung up and I'd hung it up in a tree um, just across from my shelter. And I woke mm. up one morning and I looked up and he's in the tree and he's got a hold of it and he's trying to drag it out of the tree. <laughs> oh crap! And I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh <laughs> so I ran him off and I grabbed that and I put it under my bows in my bow bed. And I slept on it from that point on. Cause I was like, I'm not losing my, my meat. That's all I have.
1: How did you mentally continue pushing through to stay out there for that long? I mean, I know you kind of talked about, you know, you've made this trip, they're going to have to drag you out, kicking and screaming out of there. But in your mind, how did you keep going?
2: I've had a lot of people ask me this question, and this is why my online survival course that I'm building has a very big mental aspect. It's called wilderness mindset and Mm -hmm. survival, because your mind is more important than your skills. Your skills matter. They're, they are key. They are really important. But your mind is going to be the biggest hurdle out there. And you can have all the skills and all the tools in the world. But if your mind isn't up to the task, you're going to fail. And the interesting thing about that situation was a lot of people asked me questions about it. Thinking that that was probably one of the hardest things I'd ever done in my life, right? Yeah. Like, this sounds really difficult. Like, how could you, how did you do this? This must have been a big, the, one of the biggest things you've ever overcome. But the reality is, I had overcome a lot of really hard things in my life already. I had been through some, some very difficult, difficult times that made this situation not really feel that difficult. And when you've overcome hard things and you've learned how to do that, these types of things don't seem so difficult. And our day and age, we are comfortable. Yes. We are kept so comfortable. Yes. And it is up to us a lot of times to put ourselves into situations that are uncomfortable and difficult, and they challenge us and we grow and we become better at overcoming things that are difficult mentally. And that's the kind of thing that. I encourage people to do. Find the things that are scary to you. Find the things that are difficult to you. Find the things that push you outside of your comfort zone and go do them. And when you get done with those things, you're stronger. You're mentally more capable and able to withstand difficult situations like a survival situation.
1: Oh, a thousand, thousand percent. So it almost kind of sounds like you enjoyed this quite a bit (laughs) The 30 days. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Okay. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it there it was there's definitely um miserable parts to it and missing my family was one of those but I think it wasn't the mental hurdle for me that you would expect it to be it was it was really hard on me physically I lost Mm -hmm. a lot of weight and you know as a coach now i understand a lot of what was going on at a metabolic and hormonal level for my body at that point in time mm-hmm. and those kinds of things were were difficult ob- obstacles to overcome especially when i got home um and then there was the mental aspect of it when i got home that was difficult there it was it was a transition to come from such a basic primal place where your mind it kind of it seems like a dumbing down, but it's really not a dumbing down. It's just a different, it's actually a healthier place, I think. A slower where, pace. Yeah, you're focused on basic survival needs. Mm-hmm. You don't have the noise of the world around you happening. And it was actually really good for my mind. It was really good for my brain. And getting thrown back into now was a shock for my system. And it took me a little while to catch up and be able to function in this environment. It's really not what we're designed for. Yeah. Um, and that transition itself had some some difficulty to it.
1: Yeah, but just like the overstimulation from just like coming back and mm-hmm. being on some type of schedule with family and, you know, electronic devices, vehicles, mm-hmm. all of that.
2: You're I was so in tune with nature Mm -hmm. because my cycle was very tied to the natural cycle, which is what we're designed for. You know, I got up when the sun got up and I worked hard during that time outside in the elements. My body was adjusting to natural temperatures like it's supposed to. My diet wasn't ideal, but I was eating extremely clean food. Um, sun goes down, I go to bed, everything slows down. I get good sleep. Um, it was, a very healthy cycle. Yeah. And then coming back to, to now I got my phone. They took me to a hotel to wait for a plane out from Yellowknife, And I had three days there and I couldn't sleep. I never slept. I wasn't tired. I three whole days just wide awake because my brain just flipped a switch and was like overdrive and couldn't stop. It was the weirdest experience. <laughs> I was not Whoa. healthy.
1: <laughs> Whoa. What? <laughs> You know, you talked about like how, how much weight you lost and what your body went through. I mean, how long did you deal with, I mean, any kind of effects or anything from being out there that long?
2: Actually, I would say about a year. Really? So I know, and it doesn't seem like it should be that way, but Mm -hmm. the initial, the initial change is just a digestive one. So it had to go through quite a bit of a process. Um, eating a really specific diet to get my body able to process and digest food normally again. So I had to ease it into that because it wasn't used to it. I hadn't been processing much at all.
0: Really? And,
2: and very basic foods, basically meat and berries was all I had and small amounts of it. So to get my body used to processing what we are used to eating took a while. Really? And then after that, I had... I had lost so much weight. It really had my body in survival mode. So as soon as I started eating again, it was like I couldn't get enough. It was that whole, now that you have food, you better stock up because you don't know when you're going to be starving again. Yeah. And so going through that whole process of stocking back up, finally getting my body to the point where it realized it was okay and it didn't need to stock back up and save everything because I wasn't going back into this survival mode. Um, took, I feel like it took a year before I could really just look at food and, and have food affect my body the way that it did before I went.
1: Jeez. I, I didn't think about the whole digestive part of it, you know, just going from clean food back to, you know, like clean, pure food from the wild to, like you said, like what we do, like the food that we eat now. I, d- I did not think about that aspect of it.
2: Well, and no salt, you know, minimal fats. It was just basically meat and berries Mm -hmm. with a little bit of natural rendered fat on the side. (laughs) You know, that's a a really simple diet and the digestive tract doesn't, we don't usually eat like that. We're used Mm -hmm. to processing large amounts of food that's very processed. And yeah, it's just a it was a whole different thing. Jeez, that's that's
1: insane. So, you get back and, you know, just getting through that I I can't imagine like I think the biggest part for me just kind of hearing you talk about it, uh, you know, aside from the diet and the digestive part of it is just like you said like you your mind goes from that place of being almost in a calm state of mind, mm-hmm. right? Like cuz you're just like you said it's not a dumbing down, it's just a bare necessities And you're focused on survival, and then, you know, just getting back to this. You know, what I'm looking at right now on my desk. Like, God, I couldn't imagine that.
2: Yeah, it was. It was very interesting. I had, Mm -hmm. I'd say there was there was pros to it and cons to it because Mm -hmm. one thing that I came home with was just such an appreciation for my people. Yeah. You know, I, I, I appreciated. And understood the value of my children and my husband and my parents and my family Mm -hmm. in a way that I had never understood it before. And that was so valuable. But at the same time, I struggled. And I think some of it had to do with um, the hormonal imbalances that were going on from lack of food. Yeah. But it was almost a depressive feeling for me being back in this culture and in this society um, because it just felt like so trivial and too much, mm-hmm. too much stimulation, a whole bunch of noise, not a whole lot of anything real and just a lot of fluff. And it just felt cheap and it was difficult to accept it
1: yeah. <laughs> for what it was. Well, that makes sense. That makes total sense. So I want to, I kind of want to come back to, uh, the, the survival aspect. Cause I know we're starting to run out of time here and you know, we, we've, we've kind of talked about that if a hunter ever found themselves in a situation, you know, let's, let's frame it for archery out West. Uh, you know, we talked fire, you know, if they're in a mm-hmm. cold, cold area, um, let's talk about predators for a second, because I feel like that's something that's always in the back of everybody's mind when they're out hunting, but you don't, you don't worry about it until it's actually there. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you dealt with this black bear. So let's talk, I want to talk about from like a mindset perspective when you deal with predators, I mean, how do you handle them? What kind of situations have you found yourself in with predators before? I know we've kind of talked about this before you've had, you've had a few run-ins with some mountain lions before. Tell us about Mm -hmm.
2: that. Well, this was an archery elk hunting scenario so we were idaho actually archery elk hunting northern idaho and there was a pond kind of wallow area that we'd set up a tree stand over Mm -hmm. and we decided to go hunt that one morning and younger days didn't do things quite as smart as i should have had elk scent on my boots which i don't recommend (laughs) um and walked into this tree stand, got up in the tree stand, was sitting there. Yeah. And not long after, looked back, and there was a cougar following my elk scented footsteps, naturally. Oh, jeez, oh, <laughs> You know, he's like, oh, an elk walked here, and I would like to eat that. So he walks out and kind of lower crouches, lowers himself down, and he's just sitting there looking, watching the pond, like waiting for this to walk out, mm-hmm. you know? And I realized. Oh, he's following us the whole time. He was back there. We didn't know he was back there. You don't know they're around. You know, yeah. they're so they're so quiet and stealthy. You don't see them very often. It's kind of rare. And eventually he took off. Um, he didn't stick around. But later that next day, we went back to that same area. But instead of going to the pond, we were hiking up um, through some ferns and some timber timber spots. And we were going to go up to the top and call and see if we get anything to answer us. And as we're going up, we start to hear something behind us. And like We stop and we're listening and it, it's coming towards us really fast, just through the brush. Something's running, right? And we kind of turned around and we're watching and it busts out right next to us, this doe and a fawn, mama and baby. And they have their tongues hanging out. They've been running scared and they run past us. Don't even pay any attention to the fact that we're there and run up ahead. And all of a sudden, just out of sight, they go through this fern opening and they get back into the timber a little bit. And they're just out of sight, but we can still hear them. I hear the sound of the fawn getting choked out. Oh, shit. And we realize that that cougar just killed that fawn. It's the same area. It's the only thing that makes sense. <sighs> Is that he was chasing them and he killed that fawn. And it was right where we were headed. So we decided we weren't gonna go up there. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're not gonna go that way today. We turned around, went back out, went to a different location. But it was a really good reminder that they're there with us, right?
0: Yeah. We are
2: in we are in the same space. They are they are there, they are around. Avoiding them is ideal if possible, but you're not gonna stay out of the woods because of predators. So using our minds, being prepared, having a firearm, having bear spray, knowing how to use it, um, being aware of your surroundings, paying close attention to signs and sounds and things that are letting you know that they're in your area. Uh, and then if you if you have something ahead of you, say you see a, a bear up ahead and you're not out bear hunting, you know, you're just trying to avoid bears at this point, don't go there. <laughs> go another way. Turn around. Avoid the situation if you possibly can. Like, I wasn't going to keep going ahead into that cougar's area when he had just killed F on there's obviously I'm going to go the other way. Um, so yeah, being prepared for that, being willing to change your plans if needed to avoid a potential situation, Mm -hmm. not making yourself, um, more tasty than you need to by putting, elks in on your feet you know just being don't really smart that. yeah don't do that put your food you know if you're camping bear country don't keep food in your tent don't keep your toothpaste in your tent don't keep anything that smells yummy mm-hmm. in your tent you know put your food up don't eat in your tent um just really using your head and being smart and, and creating an environment where you're not that appealing most of the time they don't want to have anything to do with you yeah if you don't smell like food and you don't look like food um, they're going to leave you alone. If you don't get in between a mama and her babies, most of the time they're going to leave you alone. Yeah. Sometimes you just get in a bad situation you couldn't avoid, but a lot of them you can avoid by being smart.
1: Absolutely. You know, speaking on babies, I did a podcast for this series with Fred Eichler not long ago, and he talked about how they were floating down the river in Alaska. And, you know, they they see these three cubs and they're just chilling right along the water's edge and you can actually see it on youtube and everything and they're just yeah and they like they they, you know they're just kind of like oh there's bears it's the first bears we've seen and fred says about that moment all of a sudden this big mama brown bear just comes Mm -hmm. out charges out in the water and you know floating down the rivers like that they're not but maybe a foot or two in depth and
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He said, this bear is just charging at him. And the guy that was with him, he they're said, in a boat. <laughs> yeah, they're in a boat. And like, you know, of course, like, everybody stops paddling when they see these bears. Like they're not trying to paddle backwards to put the brakes on. It's they're just right. going right towards them. Oh. Mama comes running out and he said the guide barely had enough time to whip the pistol out. And as he's whipping him, he, I mean, he just shot right in front of her and she jerked around and went the other way. So they got really freaking lucky on that.
0: Mm
2: hmm. Yeah. You hear a lot of those stories where people got really lucky. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, and yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure the pucker factor was high. I mean, I went and hunted Arizona for mule deer and, uh, we were going to go down this trailhead. This guy comes walking out and he looks at us. He goes, ask us if we're going back to this certain part of the trail. We're like, yeah, we're going back to this, uh, this higher up horse corral that's up off this trail. And he's like, don't go there. We're like, why? You got some deer back there or something? He goes, no. He goes, there's a dead calf from a cow up there and there's a mountain lion eating on it right now. He said, I walked up on it and this mountain lion just looked at me and he said, I got pretty lucky. He goes, so you boys do what you want to do, but I would not go back there. And so we didn't for a few days and we went back probably, I think, close to the end of the trip. And th- sure enough, there was there's a dead cow carcass up there. And we're like, yeah, we probably could
2: wasn't lying. Yeah, <laughs> we
1: wouldn't lie. We probably would have found ourselves in a pretty bad situation. So just kind of going back to what you, were talking about like, if you can do what you can to avoid it, just don't, right. don't deal with them.
2: Well, and you know, there's, so are you hunting them? You know, because I love hunting predators, yeah. right? And so predator hunting is real and you're going to obviously go put yourself in that, those kinds of situations if you're predator hunting, but you're, mm-hmm. you're being smart about it. You're using your head. I came down, I was elk hunting here in Montana, um, two years ago, but they were there this year too. There, I know this area pretty well. And I was walking down a really steep ridge to get to the bottom of this drainage. And I looked up in a mountain lion, jumped and then ran down the drainage to the side. And I was like, Oh, that's weird. You don't usually you don't usually come up on a cougar. Like they hear you, see you coming before you get there. You don't usually startle them. You know, they startle you. So I was like, that's strange. And I kept walking and then I found a really fresh elk calf kill that he was on. And that's why I was able to sneak up on him. He was burying it actually at the time. So he probably, there was noise. He was focused on what he was doing and he didn't see me coming. And I have a cougar tag and I love hunting predators. It's one of my passions. And so, you know, obviously I'm going to come back to that place and I'm going to hunt that, but I'm going to do it in a really smart way. I'm Mm -hmm. going to be really careful about how I come into that situation. I'm going to make sure that I have a tree at my back, something at my back so that I'm not exposing myself. I mean, predators are so cool and I love, I love being out there with them. And I love the fact that they're there. Mm -hmm. I really like having them around. Um, and I don't think we always have to avoid being in a situation where there's a predator, but yeah, just gotta use your head. Just gotta be smart. If you're not hunting them, you don't have a tag for it. You know, there's no reason to go up there where there's you know there's a cougar. Yeah, and try to do other stuff.
1: Same reason why you moved your camp a couple of miles away from that black bear.
2: Yep. <laughs> so just no reason. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I want to go back to Alone the Beast because I uh I want to know you you finally make it to the 30 days and the crew's coming in to pick you up. What's going through your mind as you know you've done it?
2: Oh, I was so happy. (laughs) That was one of the best feelings in the world. Um, One, I knew I was going home to my kids, which I missed them so much. Mm -hmm. And two, it was such an amazing feeling of accomplishment. When I went there, I wanted to show my kids that you can do hard things. I knew it was going to be miserable. I was when I when I flew out and I left my family behind to head up there. I was so depressed because I knew that this was going to be a long and grueling and difficult experience. I was not going into it with rose colored glasses. I knew what I was going into. And but my hope was to be able to return and come back on that plane, knowing that I was bringing with me this. This confidence in the human ability to hand to my children it felt like a gift that I was going to be able to bring them like you can do hard things you can do things that you know are not going to be fun that you really don't want to do Mm -hmm. that are pushing you way outside of where you're comfortable you can decide this is what I'm going to do and you can go step by step and you can methodically Accomplish that hard thing, and you can come back. and what you bring back, that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of confidence in your ability and what you can do, and kind of the widening, the opening of the world to you that that brings, because you realize like, wow, i I can do more than I thought I could do. I can what what can I do that I haven't even considered? No. I remember those kind of thoughts going through my mind. And I'm like, to be able to bring that back and walk in and hug my kids and know that, they're learning something amazing from this, just like I am. It was the best feeling. It was the best feeling,
1: man. I, I can't imagine. I'm sure that was just really awesome to walk in the house and have the kiddos there and just run to you.
2: They met me at the airport and it was, I can't even just, it's one of those feelings. Like you can't describe it. Mm -hmm. It's undescribable, to just walk into the biggest bear hug from all of the people that I had sat for 30 days and thought about, um, unable to communicate with them, unable to hear their voices and know how they were doing just to all of a sudden be able to just be with them and present in that moment was so cool.
1: That's awesome. And I can only imagine, you know, you know, we're talking about how the things that you went through can be applied to, survival situations if somebody found themselves in that and I can only imagine if somebody was actually in a life or death situation where they are separated they don't know when help is coming Mm -hmm. and finally getting that sense of relief of when they're home in front of family I I can only imagine it's even
2: more oh yeah oh yeah yes there's so my situation was interesting because it had the benefit of knowing that there was an end right right? i knew that this was going to end and i knew when so i had that end point to focus on and get toward move towards Mm -hmm. and that's a big big blessing and benefit in a survival situation right yeah but at the same time i also had the opportunity i could have left at any moment at the push and you don't of a button. That. Yeah. At the push of a button, I could be out of here and I could leave. Mm-hmm. And the mental game that that is, is not really helpful to a survival situation. Mm-mm. Because when you're actually in a legitimate survival situation and you don't have a button you can push to just leave, you, I feel like it would be easier to really focus on the tasks at hand and what you needed to do to get to tomorrow because you don't know how far you're going right yeah so you're just focused on survival mode is that it is what do i need to do in the moment right now to get to the next moment and that's all you're focused on and when you're truly in that survival mode because you don't have a button to push to just leave it's a it's a amazing thing that our nervous systems have and our bodies have and our minds have to be able to put us into this place where it's like, all right, this is my focus. I got to focus on this until it's over. I don't know when that is, but this is where I'm going to go. We're designed to be able to do that. And we're really, really good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a survival situation, if you have put yourself in uncomfortable situations and you've practiced your ability to respond to difficult things properly, instead of reactionary and being a reactor in these situations... Um, Your body's on your side and your mind is on your side and they want to help you get through this step by step until the end. And if you've prepared well and you've planned ahead, it shouldn't be a very long time. There's really no reason for it to have to be an extremely long time. If you're thinking ahead and preparing ahead, you can set yourself up for success in those situations. Takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. You know, people know where you are. You know, you know, people know. Um, you have a way to get in touch with people. We have such amazing technology these days that allows us to be able to reach out to people. If something goes wrong, mm-hmm. use it, have it, have the ability to you know, charge it. There's so many things that we can do to set ourselves up for success. But even in those moments, our bodies are prepared to go into that mode and that's awesome.
1: We're out of time here. So leave the listeners with some final advice if they ever find themselves down the road in a survival situation where it's a live or die scenario,
2: I I just recently um, oh, last year I took an airy wilderness first responder course because it's imperative to me to be as prepared as I can be for some of these wild places I like to go. Yeah, and one of the best things that I learned in that course <clears throat> was when you find yourself in a situation where it's chaotic, you have maybe the tendency to, to react instead of respond, you're going to start freaking out, whatever, is to step back and open your can of Coke, is what they said. You step back, open your can of Coke, sit there and drink your Coke and assess the situation. It's it's basically the reminder, okay, I can't just go and respond to this and react to this in just a any old way. I need to stop and slow down and actually make my thinking brain happen. What's going on here? What do I need here? What are the dangers? What are my assets? What are the things I have available to me? Sit there, drink your can of Coke, assess your situation, and then respond out of a thinking brain instead of reacting just out of instinct and fear, because that's usually where we go.
1: Big, big. That's huge to think about you know like you said too many people react and that's a really good thing to think about is sit back take a sip of your coke and assess the situation before you move forward Mm -hmm. love it well Lindsay, i really appreciate your time today we're out of time here for the hunt stand podcast tell the listeners real quick where they can find you on social media you got a website or anything and when you might even be looking to drop this online survival course
2: Well, you can find me at Hunt Fiber pretty much anywhere. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, Lindsay Persico Hunt Fiber. And then my website is www.huntfiber.com. The course is something that as I build it, I continue to add to it. There's like, oh, I want this part in here. I want this part in here. So it's it's a growing beast. Um, But my goal is to have it dropped this year. So when that happens, I'll be putting updates on my social media and people will be able to see that that's that's coming. So you can check that out later in the year. It'll be out there. Sweet.
1: Lindsay, thank you for your time again, talking survival, talking your story and what people can do if they ever find themselves in that situation.
2: Thank you. It's been fun.
1: All right, y'all. There you go. Hopefully, you'll be able to take some nuggets from what Lindsay talked about today and just put in the back of your mind so if you ever find yourself in any kind of survival situation that you can make it through it. I really enjoyed getting to talk with Lindsay, tell her story, talk about what she went through, and just hopefully you'll be able to take some nuggets from that. And again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure you have the HuntStand app downloaded. We've got the free version. We got the pro version that you can upgrade and then new From this past fall we have pro whitetail where you can unlock all the features of hunt stand today so again y'all we just want to thank y'all for tuning into the hunt stand podcast and we'll see you on the next one